morning's sermon is new life. New life. While it's always meaningful to hear a message about the miraculous birth of Jesus on Christmas Sunday, this morning we believe God wants us to hear about another miracle instead. And that's the miracle of new life that we see in Acts chapter 3. So let's read these words together, starting at verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple. That's called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. This is a porch located at the side of the temple. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, 
The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers, and you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us your words, that we may learn from them who you are, that we may learn from them what you've done, and that we may learn from them what you call us to do in response. Lord, your words are living and active, and so I trust as they're preached, you're going to use them to accomplish your purposes for us this morning. So Lord, we come with confidence, we come with confidence in, in these words because they're your words, and we've got nothing else to say but what you have to say. So speak now, Lord. May your word come alive in the hearts of your people, and may it accomplish and bring forth fruit that you set it out to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A little random fact about me, I love to sing. I sound awful and at times painful, but I love to sing. I'll, I'll never forget Eric Schmaltz, who for our guest, he's our worship leader, with all sincerity recently, just telling me, Jason, you know, you really have a unique singing voice. I've never heard someone consistently sing so off-key as you do. He was serious. I mean, he was sincere. It's true. I may never sing on key, but I love to sing. And like many of you, I especially love to sing good Christmas songs, right? I recently counted there are 96 Christmas songs in my iTunes library. And I love singing them. I love singing them all. I'm not sure how much Judith Ann loves me singing them all, but I love singing them all. Here's why I love to sing Christmas songs. I love to sing these songs because they help me think deeply about the tragic reality that Christmas tells us. The reality that we live in a fallen world. We live in a place where life isn't what it was meant to be. A place where things in life really, really go wrong. God would not have been born of a virgin and be found in human form if something was not really, really wrong here. There is a curse on this life, and, and we see it everywhere. And it's crucial to our lives that we recognize this reality, especially at Christmas time. 
Must we fool ourselves with, with gifts and glowing lights into thinking everything's okay? I love gifts and glowing lights. Don't get me wrong, but they don't make everything okay. We know this. Good Christmas songs know this reality as well. And so they don't, they don't hide the fact that a, tragedy, that a tragic reality exists. They tell us about it. And not only do good Christmas songs tell us about a tragic reality, but they also talk about the reality of redemption. The reality that Christ came to rescue us from the fall. To redeem us from our ruin and to make right what has gone wrong. And it's in this tension of the reality of tragedy and of redemption that we find a reason to sing at Christmas. Because Christ had to come, Christmas tells us everything is not okay. But because Christ did come, Christmas tells us everything will be okay. Verse 3 of one of my favorite Christmas songs, Joy to the World, says it this way. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow Far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as, far as the curse is found. Is the curse found in your life this Christmas Sunday? Are there growing sins you're aware of and sorrows you carry? Is there suffering in your life? Is there brokenness? If we're honest, all of us can locate the curse in some area of our life this morning, can't we? It's there. Every one of us knows that this life is not the life. All of us know something isn't right here. This, this life is not how things should really be. There's good news for us this morning in Acts 3. In Acts 3, verses 11 through 26, God tells us this in response to the curse. The promised Jesus came to give us new life. That's what these verses tell us. The promised Jesus came to give us new life. He, he came to make all that is wrong right. To restore what's broken. God promised Jesus would come. And that the reason for his coming would be that he would give us new life. Verses 1 through 10, they tell us of a man who's lame from birth. And how he's healed by Peter and John of his lameness. And is now walking and leaping and praising God. And now everyone near the temple is astounded at this miracle. And wants to know, what caused it? What's going on here? How did this happen? They're all standing in amazement. Wondering, and this is where 11 through 26 pick up. And in them, Peter explains to everybody what's really going on here. What's, what's really happening here in light of this lame man now walking? And essentially what he says is that the promised Jesus came to give us new life. That's what Peter's telling the men of Israel and church. That's what God is, is wanting to tell us this morning. This is our message of hope. We live in a broken world. 
Yes, we experience the effects of sin's curse in our lives. Yes, we suffer. We hurt. Sin, sin wreaks havoc in our lives. But take heart this Christmas Sunday. The promise Jesus came to bring us new life. And in verses 11 through 26, Peter shows how this new life is possible and what this new life looks like. In other words, he explains the source of new life and the substance of new life. And that's what we're looking at this morning. So point one, the source of new life. There's, there's a point of origin from which new life comes. It, it has the beginning. There's a source. And Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he wants to help us see the source here. So in, verses 11, in verse 11, he takes us to the scene at Solomon's portico where we see a man, lame from birth, now healed, clinging to Peter and John. The Jews are there, and they're all gathered around, Luke records, and they're filled with amazement and wondering at the miraculous healing that happened to this man. And all of them are staring at Peter and John as if they themselves are the reason this man is now healed. So Peter, seeing the confusion, steps in and clarifies that it was not by their power or their character that this miracle occurred. Look at the question Peter asks in verse 12. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at, at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? In other words, this lame man who's now walking is not a byproduct of some special power residing in Peter and John. Nor is it because they're such upstanding moral people that they'd somehow manipulated God to answer their prayers and heal this man. Peter is clear this was not by their own power or piety. New life simply cannot proceed from the life of men. The miraculous does not locate its genesis in mankind. We can do many things by God's grace. There are many things we can do. But bringing forth new life is just, it's not on the resume. If there was ever a group of people who should know this truth, if there was ever a group of people who should be zealous about this truth, it should be the men of Israel, the very people who claim the covenant-keeping God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of their fathers, they claim him as their God. These are the very people who from birth identify themselves as God's own people. But here's the deal, they missed it. They completely missed it. They're looking at Peter and John in amazement, identifying him as the source. How could they be so far off? Why did they miss this? They missed it because they failed to see Jesus for who God says he really is. They failed to see that Jesus really is the source of new life. Jesus is the reason this lame man is now walking. That's why Luke puts this miracle in his book. That's why God healed this lame man. It's not so much that we would ooh and ah over the healed lame man. It's that we would see Jesus did that. And Peter explains he did that because he comes to bring new life. But the men of Israel would have never guessed that. You know why? Because to them, Jesus of Nazareth, 
He's a dead man. I mean, he's the guy, according to verse 13, that they, they identified as a blasphemer. And they delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. But to Peter and John, Jesus is the servant God glorified in heaven. You see that in verse 13? By identifying Jesus as the servant God glorified, Peter takes his Jewish audience, he's taking us as well, back in time to the words of prophet Isaiah. And he does this because he wants us, he wants them to understand that Jesus is actually the servant God promised would come in Isaiah chapter 53. You guys remember Isaiah? He was talking about a servant. Guess what? It's Jesus. That's him. Jesus is the man of sorrows who would bear the sins of his people, who would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our sins. He's the one whose stripes would heal and bring redemption to the very people who inflicted them. Not only does Isaiah say the servant would suffer, but in the last verse of chapter 52, he also says that God shall lift him up. In other words, God will glorify the servant. What this is telling us is that Jesus is exalted as the supreme ruler over all. Jesus has power over lameness. In fact, he has power over everything. And it's by such power that this man was healed. Here's the message the Jews are hearing, and and this is the message for us. New life is possible because Jesus is the exalted servant king who now reigns and rules over all creation. I mean, imagine this scene. The Jews, they're gathered here. They want to get an explanation. They're confused as to who the source of this new life is. None of them, though, were expecting to be implicated in the death of the suffering servant. Imagine the look of astonishment on their faces just swelling as Peter's finger lifts from the pages of Isaiah and levels on their heads. And they hear, I'm the one. It was me. I delivered over the servant. I'm the one responsible for his death. And Peter doesn't stop there. He he continues to stack the charges against them. Look at verse 14. It says, you denied or disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you instead. What Peter's saying here when he he describes Jesus as the holy and righteous one is that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Jesus is the God-man. He's the one who God set apart in order to accomplish his saving purposes for his people. He's the one God sent to deliver his people from a life of sin, sorrow, and death in order to give them a new life. But the ironic thing that happens here is that the Jews delivered over the very one who came to deliver him. Deliver them. They, they delivered him over to Pilate. Remember the scene at Jesus' trial, right? We take ourselves back. Jesus' trial. The Jews demanded that Barabbas, a murderer, be released instead of Jesus, the holy and righteous one. And they had no clue what they were doing. They just wanted this Jesus guy, this guy going around performing miracles, this guy revealing their sin, this guy claiming to be God. They just wanted this guy dead. 
get rid of him. Crucify him, they demanded. And that's exactly what happened. Look at verse 15. You killed the author of life. They gave life to a murderer and murdered the author of life. To be the author is to be the source from which new life is brought forth. It, it comes from the one God raised from the dead. The reason Peter connects the phrase author of life with Jesus' resurrection is because it's by Jesus' resurrection from the dead that he makes a way for new life to be experienced. In other words, Jesus pioneers the way. He's the firstborn among the dead. He's the first, and he makes a way. He's the founder who made new life possible. And as the author, he's the only person with the authority to give new life. Through Jesus' sin-defeating death and death-defeating resurrection, new life is secured. And what Luke wants us to see is that Jesus is the source of it. Verse 17 says it's in Jesus' name. In other words, it's in the person and work. And faith through Jesus' name, which means it's faith given by Jesus, that this man is now restored to perfect health. The miracle is not a lame man walking. It's Jesus Christ living and giving new life to cold, dead hearts, even those who delivered him over to be crucified. If you need new life this morning, don't look anywhere else, but look to Jesus Christ. He's the source of it. He's not dead. Jesus is actually, he's alive and well. He's the servant who heals. He's the Messiah who saves. He's the author of life who's risen from the dead, conquering sin, Satan, and death. And he's calling you to come to him for new life this morning. This is, this is what Christmas is all about. Jesus coming to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. This is why we celebrate his birth. We do it because it signals that God's come to rescue us. The very ones who rejected him. What a scandal. What grace that Christ would come, take up our sins, suffer in our place, and then cry out on the cross, forgive them, Father, for they not know what they're doing. And three days later, rise from the dead and prove true his words in John 14, 6. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. Here's the crazy part. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 says, what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. What? This is. God's sovereign plan all along? God promised Jesus would come. And he wants us to know, he wants us to believe and rejoice in the glorious fact that he kept his promise. Long ago, long ago, God promised these days would come. Verses 22 through 26, they tell us that through Abraham, Moses, Samuel, and the rest of the prophets, God promised that Jesus would come and make everything right again. And now these days are here. We're in these days. God has kept his promises. It's a short, it's a short window of time. 
that we find ourselves in between Christ's resurrection and ascension and Christ's return. That's where we are. It's a short window of time. In fact, Christ could return and it could all end today. We don't know that. Only God does. And that's why nothing happened on December 21st. Not, it's not God's plan. It's not going to happen. We do know this. Here's what we do know, church. Jesus has come to give us new life. And if you've not turned away from your sins and turned to Jesus, now is the time. These are the days God has sovereignly ordained for you. And he sovereignly ordained for you to be here this morning and hear about the miracle of new life and how Jesus is the source of it. So if you're here this morning and you have repented of your sins and you have trusted in Jesus, then these next few verses belong to you. These next few verses we're going to look at describe the substance of new life. We just looked at the source. Now we're going to talk about the substance I love to give gifts to my family at Christmas time. I love to give them gifts, and I love to watch them open the gifts because I love to see the expression that comes across their faces when they see what's inside. Because once they see what's inside, everything changes. They go from, oh, wait, what is this, to, whoa, look at this. Look what this means. Look what I have. Church, Jesus has given us a gift, and it's the gift of new life. And when we open that gift in these next few verses and see what's inside, let me just encourage you, it it changes everything. If you've been given new life in Jesus, then here's what you have to enjoy. Here's what belongs to you. Here's what's yours. Forgiveness of sins. Whoa. Times of refreshing and the restoration of all things. Forgiveness of sins. Times of refreshing and the restoration of all things. This is the substance of new life. If we've turned away from our sins and turned to Jesus for new life, then verse 19 says this. All of your sins are blotted out. The verb blot in in the original language, it means to cause to disappear by wiping away. Just erasing. Think of it, every sin you've ever committed, past, present, and future, will never be held against you. They're completely obliterated. They're not just temporarily hidden from your timeline. They're deleted from your timeline. They're gone. How is this possible, though? How in the world is this possible? Where did they all go? Did they just disappear into oblivion? Hey, sins are gone. No, they didn't. Our sins, we're told, were punished. They were placed on the suffering servant. We read about in verse 13. Isaiah 53, 6 says... All we like sheep have gone astray. 
we've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus, who was sinless, bore our sins so that we, the gone astray sheep, could have new life. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we, those who turn and trust in Jesus, might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our sin and he gave us righteousness. In Colossians 2, we read that God has forgiven all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. How did he cancel it? What canceled that debt? This, our record of sins, he set aside. Nailing it to the cross. The law had legal demands. You know what it demanded? It demanded that our blood be shed for sin. That's what it demanded. But instead, Jesus' blood was shed in our place. While he was nailed to a tree outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. And for those who have turned from their sin and turned to Jesus, every single wicked act is now completely wiped away. Do you hear that? Every single wicked act is now completely wiped away. This is good news. In Isaiah 43, God says this, Behold, I'm the one, I'm he, who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Christian, your record of sins has been nailed to the cross. It's, it's no more. It's been blotted out of the history books. If you're here this morning feeling condemned by the sins you committed last week or last night, are you feeling burdened as you look back over 2012 and say, ah, I'm still doing the same sins I thought I'd be done with this past year. There's good news for you. Listen, those sins are wiped away and remember no more. Do you feel that lift? Just feel that lift. Your sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ. This is where the message of Christianity is just totally different from every other religion. Every other religion tells you, rescue yourself. Produce your own new life. Pay for your own sins. Do enough good works and God will accept you. Christianity tells us the complete opposite, doesn't it? We can't produce new life on our own. We cannot atone for our sins. We cannot rescue ourselves. We need God to come to us because we can't come to God. And the good news, church, the good news is that he has come just like he promised he would. He became one of us and he was born in a manger in a wooden trough. And the righteous life that you and I could not live, he lived for us on our behalf. And having obeyed God perfectly, he, knew no, he who knew no sin became sin for us. 
and willingly took our sin to a wooden cross. And there on the cross, the ruin and the rescue of humanity was put on full display as the Son of God hung, bled, and was punished in our place. Our sin was atoned for in the Lamb who was slain, and we bear it no more. Do you find that refreshing? You should. Verse 20 tells us that times of refreshing will come. There are times of relief from the burden of sin. Times of realizing that the sin that once separated you from God has now been done away with. And the peace that God promised at Jesus' birth is now here. Peter tells us this refreshing comes from the presence of the Lord, right? You see that there? It comes from the presence of the Lord. It's because when Jesus gives us new life, church, he gives us his spirit to come and dwell within us. And the spirit now dwelling in us is the presence of the Lord. He's with us always. And the Spirit is here to remind us as often as we will listen that we are forgiven sinners. He's here to point us back over and over to the reality. Hey, Jesus paid it all. It's done. It's finished. One commentator says the noun translated as refreshing is defined as experience of relief. From obligation or trouble. That's what is meant here. Experience of relief from obligation or trouble. If you're a Christian, you're no longer in trouble with God. He's washed away your sin. According to Psalm 51, you're now whiter than snow. God has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. What a relief. At the risk of sounding cheesy, are you dreaming of a white Christmas? Look in the mirror. It's here. It's here. Do it every day. Experience times of gospel refreshment. Every day. Little kids love to do things over and over and over and over, don't they? I'm learning this. I have a three-year-old. She's got about six to seven activities she wants me to do with her over and over and over and over and over. And as adults, we, we don't really care that much about monotony, do we? I mean, it's like, uh, we just did that six times. You really want to do that again? Yes! The kids, I mean, my daughter's like, yeah, daddy, do it again, do it again, do it again. Look, remind yourself of this good news again and again and again and again and again. Every day, remember your sins are blotted out, my friends. They're gone. It's not you. Your sins do not define you. They're not who you are. Jesus' righteousness defines you. That's who you are. 
Robert Murray Machane is this 19th century Scottish pastor and colleague of Peter Davidson. Um, That's a compliment. No. <laughs> Listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. This is really, 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 really good advice. This is really, 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 really good advice. Write this down, okay? It's not a long sentence. Here's what he says. For everyone, look at yourself. Take ten looks at Christ. For everyone, look at yourself. Take 10 looks at Christ. Are you aware of your sin this morning more than you should be? So much so that you're not really experiencing this gospel refreshment. If you've trusted in Christ's life, death, and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins, then stop fixating on them. Confess them to God. Fix your eyes on your glorious Savior. Go and sin no more. Experience times of refreshing by reminding yourself of the good news that your sins are forgiving. When we talk about having a new normal in our lives, folks, this needs to be included. Gospel refreshment needs to be included because we either live each day in the good of this gospel or in the guilt of our sins. We either live each day in the good of this gospel or in the grip of the world. Live in the good of the gospel. It changes everything. It makes all the difference in your joy. It makes all the difference in your love for God. Like the lame man who celebrated the healing from his sickness by walking and leaping and praising God, how much more should we celebrate the healing from our deadly sins? Like the lame man clinging to Peter and John, how much more should we cling to this Jesus who forgives sinners like us? How much more should we look to him and live for him who set us free from sin? We're given new life for this reason so that we would experience times of refreshing. And very soon, church, there will be a day that we go from times of refreshing to time of refreshing. In other words, there will be a day when we go from experiencing new life some of the time to experiencing new life all of the time. Look at verse 21. Verse 20 and 21, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time, until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets. There will be a day when God sends the appointed Christ who's being kept in heaven right now and when he comes, he's going to restore all things. Jesus, the source of new life, will return. And he's going to make all things new. 
This means the whole world, including you and me and everything in it, is going to be made completely new. The restoration of all things has begun with, the, with Jesus' coming. And when he returns, it will be complete and final. This has, this has massive implications for our lives this morning, doesn't it? Massive implications. We live in a world where things break. Plans fail. Storms come. People sin. People get sick. And people die. That's where we live. That's what Christmas tells us. When Christ returns, church, he's going to bring an end to all of that. All suffering, sickness, and sin will pass away. The curse will finally be reversed fully. All diseases will die out. There will be no more cancer cells, no more ALS, no more tragedies like Sandy Hook, no more fears, no more poverty, no more injustice. This is way bigger than just us dying and going to heaven. Christ is coming to usher in his kingdom. Everything will be renewed. New normal is possible right now. But when Christ comes, new normal is going to be permanent. The dwelling place of God will be with man. And he will, he will be with his people. And, and he will be our God. And, and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. All things will be made new. No more sin forever. Fullness of joy in Christ forever. All satisfying worship and praise to God forever. Deep fellowship with the one you were made to know and love forever. It's glorious news. There, your applause is so appropriate. Church, there is tremendous cause for triumphant hope this morning. Tremendous cause for triumphant hope this morning. If there is brokenness in your life, if, if pain won't cease, it just keeps coming. Something new this year. Who knows what 2013, the pain that's going to come. Pain won't cease. If you're burdened with the guilt of sins, you can't seem to stop committing. If your marriage is falling apart, if your health is failing, if you're longing for a better world, hear God say to you this morning, behold, I'm making all things new. The restoration and renewal of all things has begun in Christ. And when he returns, everything that's gone wrong will be made right again. Is this where your hope is? Is this where your hope is, Christmas Sunday? You walk in here. Is your hope in the fact that Jesus is coming back? And you're going to be with him. Our hope is not in the right president, the right legislation, the right job, 
the right home, the right income, or if our family could just get our act together. That's not our hope. Don't hope in that. It's not going to happen. Our hope is in the return of Jesus Christ. For Yes, for when he returns, the old will pass away and the new will come. John Calvin says this in response to this reality. Let us lift up our hearts and be revived by the hope that Christ shall one day come and restore all things. That's really good advice. Church, this morning let us lift up our hearts and be revived in the hope that Christ shall come and restore all things. Haste thee on from grace to glory, as Henry Light says. Armed by faith, winged by prayer. Heaven's eternal days before thee. God's own hand shall guide us there. Listen to this. Soon shall close thy earthly mission. Soon shall pass thy pilgrim days. Hope shall change glad fruition. Faith to sight and prayer to praise. Do you have this hope this morning? More importantly, more importantly, do you have the promised Jesus? If you don't have Jesus, then let's be honest. You don't have hope. Because apart from Jesus, there simply is no hope. If you're here this morning and and do not have Jesus, I want you to hear me say on behalf of the church and the pastors, really, thank you for coming. I mean, you don't know who Jesus Christ is. Why, Why are all these people loving this Jesus can kind of seem a little weird. Maybe it's Christmas Sunday, and so you said, okay, I'll come. Maybe a family member dragged you in. But just thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. The most loving thing I can do for you and that this church can do for you is to plead for you to turn from your sins and turn to Jesus Christ. And I think God is calling some of you to make a decision right here, today. These verses that we just read, they really leave no room for neutrality, do they? They're driving toward a response, and neutrality is not an option. Today, right now, you either repent of your sin and trust in Jesus, or you choose to walk away, ignore him. How will you respond? Will you turn to him? Will you turn away from him? You you can't leave here without making that decision. You need to respond. Don't, Don't walk out of here without God giving you an answer even better 
Don't walk out of here without God giving you the promised Jesus. Don't leave here without him. Don't let another Christmas without Christ come and go. Maybe you do. Maybe you do have Jesus. But it's, it's been a while since you looked at him as the source of new life. Maybe you look at other relationships or other substances to give you life. But you keep coming up empty, tired, and hopeless. Today, I believe God wants you to turn away from whatever you're living for that's not Jesus Christ. And by the power of his spirit, turn back to him. This is God's kindness to you this morning. It's his mercy. Turn back to him. He's the source of new life and the only hope we have, both now and forever. Church, Christ offers us miraculous news this Christmas Sunday. Forgiveness from sins, much-needed times of refreshment, and true hope that everything wrong will one day be made right. That's the gift of new life. Is the curse found in your life this morning? Do sins and sorrows grow? Do thorns infest the ground? There is good news. Christ has come to make his blessings flow. Far as the curse is found. And as we celebrate his coming this Christmas, may we rejoice that the promised Jesus came to give us new life. And may it change everything about our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this good news this morning at Christmas time. We're reminded not just that Jesus came, but why he came. We're reminded of the new life you've given us, Lord. I pray we would leave here with hope this morning. I pray that those who do not know you would leave here with Jesus this morning. Bring about new life in them, God, we pray. You promised these things would come. And you kept your promise. Pray you bless your people this morning as we go. May songs of joy be on our heart with this good news. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.